Okay, so um, what I'm going to talk about the next two weeks is actually the three visits of the angels. And um, when I was writing this, you know, when I was thinking about what I was going to do for Christmas, by the way, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. Um, I was actually sat in the sunshine, um, having breakfast in Mallorca, and not only was I sat on the sunshine, but because they, they, they struggled to cope with the heat at 21 degrees, they put all the heaters on in the cafe. And so I, w- I was kind of being toasted, and I was kind of toasty warm and a bit sleepy and, and things. And, you know, when life's sort of relaxed, you can just kick back, uh, relax, take things slowly... But when life's hectic, and when you're under pressure, you tend to rush into things and you tend to panic into, into things. And um, so the, in the first of these two talks I'm going to do, I'm going to call, this is called Fear Not. Because each time the angels visited, they said the same thing. The first thing that they said was, be not afraid or fear not. And um, what I'm going to look at this morning is what happens when God comes calling, when God comes calling in your life. And sometimes when God comes calling, we, it, well, not sometimes, but a lot of times, we, we can a bit treat him like, you've, have you got that sort of, um, I guess it's that annoying person that rings the phone and you don't want to pick it up all. So you let it all go to, you let, every time they ring, you let it go to voicemail. Now, it might be double glazing, or it might be the mother-in-law, but it's one of the two, <laughs> yeah? You know, that person that you let go to voicemail. And, and sometimes we treat God a bit like that. We, 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 we want to hear his voice, but at the same time, we don't always respond. Uh, we, don't, we don't let God lead our lives. We, we, so, we, we kind of give him a slot in which he's allowed to talk. And the truth is that... that that God sometimes just invades our lives. He comes specifically with us, uh, to us, to tell us something. And um, I guess one of the things I, I've been like challenged by is the way we, we view church and the body of Christ in this generation. Because we've become, and, and I think it's kind of ironic this morning, like that we, we've all stripped down because we've like become ultra professionals. And there's this, like, I guess in some ways we've become very me focused in, in the way we approach our faith. And, and that produces a, a generation of Christianity which, which is, is not healthy because we kind of want to be close enough to God to get him to bless us and to get his favour on us. But we don't want to go all the way with God in case he asks us to do something we don't want to really want to do. And, and so we find ourselves in, in, in that sort of generation that we've produced. You know, it, it's, not, it's not just happened to us, we've produced it, we, we've demanded it, we've attended it, we've gone to it. And I felt really personally challenged by that because when I... When I read the word, it seems to me that the church then related as family, and relationship was the important thing. 
um, and, 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 and living out their life in a way that honoured God. They gave themselves entirely to God and entirely to each other. Um, and it's so easy that we, we drift away from that to a, well, how does this, this thing compare to that thing and how, how professional was that? And I, I believe that we really need to get back to that um, core walking with God that comes out of relationship with him and a core walking with each other that comes out of relationship with each other. Does that make sense? Um, but you know, when God comes and he, and he challenges us on something, often what we can do is we can go, well, I don't really want to hear God. I only want to hear God to a certain extent. I want to hear God to the extent that he's going to tell me my life's going to be okay and my life's going to be great and we're, all, we're, we're going to get through that. Now, that's important. But we don't really want him to hear, guys, I'm sending you to Africa next week. Or, or one or two people, you might actually like him to hear, yes, you're going to Australia next week. But we, we, we don't necessarily want to go the whole way with God. You know, he might make me talk to people I don't want to talk to. He, he might get in the way of my career prospects. Now, I, I find that kind of funny, because when I was growing up, like, I am grown up, by the way. Yeah? I'd just like you to know that. I am grown up. But when I was growing up, maybe, you know, last year, or 20 or 30 years ago, that, that sort of approach, people didn't think like that in church. They didn't think like that as Christians. It's, a, it's kind of a new phenomenon. God, you can have so much of my life, but you can't have it all in case it, it doesn't fit with my plans. And, and what we've got here in, in this story is that Mary gets her plans invaded. And she's got a decision to make. Will she go the whole way with God or not? Here's my question to you this morning. What would your life look like if you gave everything to God? Would it still be the same as it is? That's kind of the answer you hope for, isn't it? When the angel turns up and starts talking to Mary, the first thing he says is, what? Fear not. Now, fear isn't an absence of faith. Fear is actually faith in the wrong things. Yeah. Fear is an exercise of faith, but you're exercising your faith in things apart from God. And fear is kind of what, let me put it this way, fear is putting your faith in the what ifs. Because a lot of us, we, we run our life on... We live, it, we live our life, to a large extent, on things that never happen, never might happen, and probably even pretty impossible to happen, but we still worry about them. Mm. Most of us don't live our life as it's happening. We live our life based on speculations that we have about what might happen next. And we tr we're all the time trying to cope about with those speculations <coughs> that may or may not ever happen. And God says to us, 
fear not. That means don't fear. Don't run your life on the basis of what ifs. Run your life on the basis of what I've asked you to do. Yeah. You know, we, you, you, if you listen to the news now, you, you could go like, well, what, what if the economy crashes? What's going to happen? What, what's going to happen to my job? What, what if Brexit turns out to be a disaster? What's going to happen? What if, what if I never marry? What if, what if um, I never repair this relationship that, that I've been, um, you know, that's, that's got in a mess? What, what, if I, um, what if I lose my job? What if I, I pray for somebody and they report me and I lose my job? What, what if, what if, what if, what if? And it's kind of a, a thing that we need to break out of. And God says to us, if we're in that place, if that's how, how our life is, we need to fear not. So fear not. Fear not. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a, a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Yeah. We don't have a spirit of fear. That means that... We're not, there's nothing in us driving us to fear. We're actually choosing to operate on the basis of what-ifs and on the basis of anxiety. It's a choice we are making. It's not, it's not something that we can't change because we have a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. That's who we are. We can operate differently from the way the world operates. So... This is, this is what I want to say to you this morning. God, however young or old you are, God has some great plans for your life. Mm. Now, I know you've heard that. Because it's kind of a thing that we say as Christians, isn't it? God's got some great plans for your life. And he has. But what if they're not your plans? Mm. That's the real question. What if they're not your plans? God's got some great plans for your life. What if they're not your plans? That's what Mary's faced with. She's faced with an angel appearing in front of her and saying, all those plans you've got, I've got a different one. And I want us to look at some things from this passage. So go with me to Luke chapter 1. And I'll start at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was to her. I think that's really interesting because I, I don't know how we would react. I kind of don't know what an angel looks like, but one thing that is apparent is that Mary can tell that this is an angel and not a human being. So assuming that basis then, if, if an angel turned up here this morning and was stood here, we'd be able to tell it was an angel. Yeah? yeah? And so the angel comes and says, you're blessed and highly favoured. How do you react to that? Because most of us spend a lot of our time play, praying that we're going to be blessed and highly favoured. And, and Mary's there 
and the angel turns up and says, you are blessed and you are highly favoured. Now, that would seem to me good news, wouldn't it? The issue isn't that this is bad news. This is, but what it says is that Mary's response was to be confused and disturbed by that. I think it's really interesting that, um, how can I put it? I want you to imagine this, this scene because bec- we, we don't quite have this way of looking at things in society, but Mary's probably about 14. And she's betrothed, as in, in, in their culture, that was just as, as good as being married, to a guy called Joseph. And um, she's planning her wedding. Now, Cheryl and, and I have been uh, up in the north last weekend, and Cheryl's been staying with our friend Jane Mike. Now, Jane's middle daughter's getting married next year, and Jane's youngest daughter's getting married the year after. The oldest one got married a few years ago. Now, Jane, when I, I don't mean to be rude, but Jane's a teacher. And, and so Jane is already planning the curriculum and how it's all going to happen. Even though these things are a year or two away, and, and she's visiting venues. I, I don't, I'm not sure the, the kids are yet partaking in this. Jane is visiting the venues. Jane is looking at what the menus are. Jane is looking at what, what it might look like and thinking about it. But there's a load of planning going into this wedding already. And, it, and it's like, well, the second one's nearly two years away. But that's kind of what's going on here. There's a load of planning going into to Mary and Joseph's future, and Mary and Joseph's wedding, and what's going to happen, and all the family's invited, and everybody in the area knows about it, everybody in town knows about it, all, all the people that Joseph does business with it know about it. And, well, God turns up. And he says, I've got a different plan. I've got a different plan. You see, I think we have to get our heads around the idea that God might actually ask us to do something that doesn't fit with how we've mapped our, mapped our future out. Mm. He's a plan disruptor. <laughs> and we, we kind of need a a bit of a mind shift that he's not a plan blesser, he's a plan disruptor because he has different plans to, to the ones we have. And we need to start being a bit careful to hear what he wants for our lives rather than just asking him to bless what we want. Because a lot of what we ask him to bless is just that we can do better than other people. And the body of Christ isn't about doing better than other people, it's about blessing other people. thing is, when God speaks into your life or asks you to do something <coughs> or changes your life around, throws it into topsy-turvy, he doesn't always pick your best moment to do it. But just because he doesn't pick your best moment doesn't mean he hasn't got the best plans. You see, I remember, um, this is quite, well, a long time ago now, you know, more than six months um, and I had just been, uh, I guess I just got to the pinnacle of my career and had been made a partner in the firm of accountants, that, you know, and consultants that I was, I was with. 
And uh, I don't know what, why we did, but we did it every year. We, we, used to, we went along to Spring Harvest, and, and we were like real, real staunch Anglicans at the time, and Reformed theology people. And we went to the, we went to the boring bit of Spring Harvest. It was called Word Alive Week. And it didn't have a lot of music, but it had a lot of word. Well, it had a lot of people speaking a lot, put it that way. And we went along to that, and we sat in this big tent, and uh, I was just like thinking about life, and he was preaching on Isaiah 65, which is like a phenomenal passage. And uh, while we sat there, I heard this voice say to me, right in the middle of this talk, you are cold. And it, I heard it audibly, so I turned around and I was looking around and it, it took me a while to realise that nobody else had heard it. And I kind of knew what it meant. Well, I did know what it meant because it, when God speaks, you, you, can't, you do know what it means. Because inside, you know, I know what, he, I know what he's getting at. And, and I, that was a real shock to me because I'd run my life on the basis that I was career in accountancy and that's how it was going to go till I retired and everybody else had always told me that God had called me to be an accountant and yet he was God saying you are called as in called into ministry and to say that was a plan disruptor was like understatement <laughs> so what I did is I, I immediately responded wrote it down on a piece of paper put a date on it, put a time on it, stuck it in the back of my Bible and hoped that it never come up again. <laughs> and the next day, we, you know, the next day the, the thing finished and we went home and a friend of ours who had, um, was a, a, a minister that we'd known for a long time rang us up and on that, the, the next morning, so I'm stood in my kitchen at Preston taking his phone call and he said, well, you know, I came around to see you last night, you weren't in, but really, uh, Debbie and I, we've been thinking, and we've been praying, and we, we think we've got it wrong. We've been telling you all your life you're an accountant, and we really feel that God wants to call you into ministry. And I said, okay, um, here's what I'm going to do, Mike. I'm going to give the phone to Cheryl, and you can tell her that. <laughs> and so that, that's how it, it kind of kicked off. And here we are, like, years years later, so you, you kind of see the, the evolution story, but my point is this, um, how can I put it? You know, it can sometimes seem like when God speaks to you, he's derailing your plans. What he's actually doing is inviting you to something better. We, we run with tunnel vision in our lives. That, that we, we, we've got things that we've got planned and, and mapped out for ourselves. But God sometimes has to come in and speak to us with a, a word or through his word or, or in prayer or whatever and speak to us and say, I'm inviting you to something better than you had planned. And that's, that's what the angel's doing with Mary. Now, she, she might not understand it at the time. and I mean, it's kind of challenging, isn't it? Is that... I want you to think about it this way, that what God has for our lives isn't always convenient. In fact, it's likely to be inconvenient. But he's inviting us to something better. 
So in that sense, our convenience works against the better things of God being in our life. And we have to get used to life being a bit more inconvenient if we're going to see some better things. Because convenient means we can manage it all. And God's calling us to a life of abandoned faith where he manages it, where we go beyond what we can do and, and what we can see through our own abilities and what we can see through our own imagination and our own plans. The second thing is this, that God's plans are often different to what we would ever come up with. Let's, let's read a bit, a bit more, verse 30 to 33. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, or fear not, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, just put yourself again in Mary's place. You're steaming towards a wedding as a 14-year-old young girl where culturally you're kind of already married and you've got this, this thing going on like, I'm going to give birth to the Son of God and I'm going to have to tell Joseph it's, that I'm pregnant. And, it, and it's kind of like, high and low isn't it that we can get excited about some things that, that that god has for us but what often stops us going through with them is that there's often a cost to go through to see them you see how, how do you how do you think like, like you're marrying how do you think this conversation with joseph is going to go hi joseph Got, got, got a little thing to tell you. I was just like hanging around, minding my own business, and this whopping great big angel turned up. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of pregnant. <laughs> How do you think that's going to go, that conversation? Given that the whole village, everybody Joseph works with, everybody in the area, they all know that they're betrothed. They're not going to be going, oh, tell us what the angel said. Are they? Aren't they going to be going, who's the dad? <laughs> What's she done? When did she get the chance to do that? And you know, for us to go through with God's plans sometimes, we're going to be completely misunderstood. God's plans are not cost-free. Now, I don't, I don't mean it in any way, but I had a little, little phrase that I heard uh, probably last week, but I think it's a, it's a really, something I'll probably keep coming back to, I think. But I, I kind of really concerned that what we've produced, and this is again ironic, is that we have produced a generation of believers in this nation who are snowflake Christians. By that I mean that the slightest bit of heat and we melt. And we, we, we don't have that follow-through that previous generations had. And 
We can't afford, if we're to see the kingdom of God manifest in our lives, <coughs> to constantly melt under pressure. You know, we, we had a, a massive example of that in the, the last general election. Um, something that the person who, who it happened to like, just hugely regrets and has written a lot about. But uh, if you remember, in the middle of last general election, the leader of the uh, Liberal Democrats, he was challenged over the issue of abortion in public and he kind of fudged it and backed down because he was a born-again believer. And people asked him, the, the Newcastle asked him, did he believe it was okay? And he, after the election, he resigned from politics. Uh, he, he's actually my mum's MP. So he's the MP for Kendall and South Lake. And he's really respected up there. But he resigned. But he, he's put a lot of stuff out since about how difficult it is to hold on to your beliefs if you're in politics. And how difficult it is to stand under the pressure, uh, admitting that he didn't, and he, he, he should have handled it in a completely different way. But my point's this, that if we are walking with God, we are going to have to deal with some mistreatment and some criticism, and it's going to come our way. Now, I know that's not a jolly message for Christmas, but Mary wasn't getting a jolly message here. She was getting a life-changing message where she was going to set the course of the rest of our life and it, you know years ago I, I was where did I tell this I've told this story recently I'm kind of hoping I told it in Blackpool I'm not just telling you again what I said two weeks ago but a few years ago I, I was sat praying and, and God asked me like when did you give your life to me and I'm one of these people that, that, that knows okay that it was a defined moment. It was the 17th of March, 1975, 10.30pm, in my bedroom, said the prayer at the back of a little booklet called Journey into Life. So I know. So God asked me this question, when do you give your life to me? And, and I reeled that off, just like I have done then, 17th of March, <coughs> etc., etc. And, and, and you know, like, I was feeling kind of smug. I know the answer to that one, but next question. <laughs> and he's going, and, and I got this response, and he, and he said, good, that's right. Yeah, I know, I know. Good, good, yeah, I got, got it. And then he said, when did you take it back again? When did you give me life to, your life to me and when did you take it back again? And he wasn't disciplining me. It was a challenge to get me to think differently in that case. You know, we, we, when we become believers, we put our trust and our faith in a God who loves us. And a God who has some amazing plans to impact people's lives and change people's lives through us. And we can't <coughs> afford, as believers, to take our life back and run it just entirely on our plans. You, you know, <coughs> we have to follow through with what God's asked us to do, is basically what I'm saying. Like Mary had to follow through. Once she's, she said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with that God, she's got to follow through. And, and we, we've got to do the same. And, you know, the, the part of the problem is that some of us have our mindset on a life and a future that looks like sitting back with our feet up on a recliner watching TV when we're retired. And that, that, that's our goal. 
And God says, I've got something better than that goal for your life. I've got something better than that. You know, if our goal is just to accumulate enough money so we can sit on a recliner chair with our feet up in front of the TV eating a takeaway curry, that's not really a great goal. And, and what, what that will mean is that we'll have lived a life of insignificance where we could have been significant in a lot of lives. If, if that's what we achieve, is to kick back and sit with our feet up on a recliner, we'll have achieved a life of insignificance. When God's calling us to a life of significance. Now, the third thing about this, this visit is this. You're very quiet. Are you finding this a bit challenging this morning? Is it not like the warm Christmassy? <laughs> I've got a cuddly one for next week. You're all right. <laughs> we have to. We have to get. We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And uncomfortable with being comfortable. Yeah, you're all nodding. So I'm going to try and get you to say that. <laughs> we have to. We have to get. get Yes. Yes. Comfortable, comfortable with being uncomfortable. being uncomfortable. And we have to be uncomfortable with being comfortable. Okay, you can practice that at home. Yeah, we'll be prizes next week. But the first thing is this. When God asks you to do something, it's going to look impossible. God does not call us to do things that are possible. I guarantee you that nobody's before Mary had been like going around saying I had a virgin birth. And kind of nobody has since either. So God's asking her to do something that nobody has seen. And we can often be asked by God to do things that we don't think are possible for us. For instance, you know, I don't think I can ever forgive that person after what they've done. It looks impossible to us, but it's not, and we go, that's not possible. Or, I don't know how you expect me to take a stand on this, God, because this is going to happen and that's going to happen and, and it's just not possible. Or, I don't know how you expect me to be generous when I've got so little, God. It's just not possible. Or, um, I don't I know how you expect to, to heal my marriage after so long, God. That's just not possible. I don't know how you can put right this situation at work, God. That's just not possible. And, and we can spend a lot of time telling God what's not possible. And what we need is instead is Mary's response. So, okay, God, how's that going to happen? Mary, Mary's response, when you, you look at how it, it's originally phrased, it, it comes across as, um, in verse 34, I don't know how this is possible. How is that possible? What she's actually saying is, okay, God, just run that by me again. How's that going to happen? She's not saying no, but she's saying, I can't get my head around how that's going to happen. And then we get on to verse 35, and, and uh, I'll read 35 and 37, because this is the angel's answer to how that's going to happen. The angel answered, and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that, ho that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. 
That's kind of, I mean, we read that now and we're kind of used to it because we hear it in Christmas readings. But this has never happened before. And so Mary's there, she's going like, what, what's that mean? Like, the power of the highest will overshadow me. What's this overshadowing stuff? How, what, what's that? And the Holy One's been born, he's going to be called, I'm going to have the Son of God. How is that possible? Here's what the angel says. With God, nothing will be impossible. God is asking some of us to do stuff we don't. I don't think that's possible, God. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, can't, I can't do that. can't forgive. can't let that. I can't release that person. can't keep chasing after reconciliation. can't keep doing this. I can't change. And here's what the answer, God's answer is. I'll paraphrase that answer from the angel. This that I am about to do in your life, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is that this is not a man-sized project. This is a God-sized project. And as a God-sized project, it's no problem to him. But because it's not a man-sized project, you can't do it. So what I'm asking you to do, Mary, is get involved with my God-sized project. Because it is impossible to you, but it's not impossible to me. And, and I want to encourage some of you uh, who like shelve things because they look impossible to, to just take them down off the shelf again and ask God, did I miss this? Is this the God-sized project that I've, I've shelved as impossible? Are you asking me to do something that I've looked at and said that's impossible? Because I haven't realised it's a God-sized project. So here's my question for you this morning. What is it, right now, that God is asking you to do and believe for with your life? What is it right now that God is asking you to do and believe for in your life? Now, some of you are sat there and going, I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what the next thing he's asking me to do is. I know. Others are going, I haven't a clue. I haven't even thought about it. And, and you're going to take some time. You, you know, you're going to need some time to think about that question. What is it God's asking you to do? Because he is asking you to do something. He's got something for you that is a God-sized project. For some of us, it's to step out and start something. Like with Heather, she's taken that on, that God-sized project. One of the things that Heather's gone is, I have no idea if anybody's going to turn up on Monday. What if they do? What if they turn up? It's a God-sized project. It's not a man-sized project. You know, to a large extent, we've forgotten that church is a God-sized project and not a man-sized project. And we kind of need to get our heads around that we've done like a couple of decades of building the best churches that man can build. And now we start to need to start building some of the best churches that God can build. And they might look different. 
We might think that the next thing that God's got for us is to restore a relationship that's gone bad. It's a God-sized project. For some of us, you might just want to join Bible school. It's not on tonight, by the way. But it does start again after Christmas, and we've got some new stuff and some really good stuff. So you might want to join Bible school, because even though if you haven't done so far, you can join any time. You might want to reach out to somebody who's a long way from God. There's, you know, there's all sorts of things God could be asking you to do. And if you don't know what it is, I'm encouraging you to go and ask him, what, what, what should I do? What can I step out in? What's the God-sized project you've got for me that looks impossible to me from my man-sized perspective? Here's the last thing, and again, God's been saying this to me a lot. So this is, if, you, if, you, if you're sort of like into numbered points, this is point number four. Tell you what they were, in case you missed one. First one was God speaks, it might be inconvenient. And we've got to get over inconvenient. God's purpose is often different to our plans. That's number two. Number three, God asks you to have faith for things that, do, that look impossible. And number four, when you take, a, when you move forward in faith, don't write this down yet, because this is a long explanation before I give you a little succinct <laughs> point number four. See, I brought with tradition. If this was an Anglican sermon, we'd have three points. I thought it's a really rebellious to have four. So this is my point of rebellion. Number four. Here we go. You see, the way God works is he doesn't give you the whole picture at any point in time. Because if he did, we'd go off and do it without reference to him. So he doesn't give you the plan. He doesn't give you the strategy. The way God works all the time, you see it right through the Bible, is to give the person the next step. You might get step two if it's a really big ask. But step three and four, you aren't going to find out until you've done step one and two. Why does God work like that? God works like that because he's a God who relates to us on the basis of faith and relationship, not on the basis of what man can do. Because he's got bigger things for us and bigger things for his kingdom than we're seeing by reducing it to what man can do and we've got to look at what God can do. And so he takes us down that one step at a time, stretching our faith with each step. So this is point number four. Point of rebellion. If God asks you to take a step of faith, now hear this, the outcome is his responsibility. Yeah. Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is his. If we start worrying about what the outcome looks like and how it will work out, we won't be able to take the step of faith because this is a God-sized project. He's got God-sized things for our life. The outcome is his responsibility. Obedience is our responsibility. And when we get the two mixed up, we get problems. We, we, we need to move from, from a, a, a body where we think the outcome of what God is doing in our midst is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to build church anymore. 
Sometimes I've, I've reverted into that over the years, but I'm not. What I'm trying to do is walk obediently before God and put him number one in my life and trust in him for the outcome. Unfortunately, he's made me a kind of a challenging person. So I, I, have, I have points of rebellion and things like that. It's just the way I do it. But God's much more interested in his relationship with me than what I can achieve. And he's, he's much more interested in me trusting him for the outcome of what he asked me to do than me trying to achieve that outcome on my own. Because we can't predict outcomes. Life is just way too complex. Life is just too difficult to plan outcomes and predict them and do them. Yeah. Can, I, can I let you all into a secret? How many of you at work have, or what, have, have been in strategy meetings where you've had strategy presentations and this is the strategy for the next three years? How, how many of you had those? Yeah? How many of you exist in organisations with mission, vision, values and all the rest of it and, and staff beatings and cascading down of plans and all that sort of stuff, yeah? Let me, let me let you into a secret. They don't work. Harvard released a big research project about five or six years ago called Living Leadership. And it, it looked, it's not that there's anything wrong with strategy, but life is moving too quick, too fast, and in too much of a complex way for us to believe we can plan the future. So strategy becomes something that is like a general guide. The, the managers on the ground change, create around, do different things around, and sometimes go 180 degrees in the opposite direction in, in order to achieve the end they're looking for. And that's what that, that the research said. And so, when, if, that, if that's what people in the natural are saying, just think how, how difficult it is when it comes to God's plans, if we want to follow them through on our, our own. You, you can't have all the plan. What you can do is be obedient to the next step and trust God for the outcome. Is this making sense? So Mary trusts God for the next step. She's obedient to what God wants, and trusts him for the outcome. She trusts him to look after the relationship. She trusts him to look after the family. She trusts him that what the angel has said is true. She trusts him to sort Joseph out. And he does. She trusts him to, to sort out the fact that it's going to be okay. But even if it's not going to be okay in her plans, even if it's going to mess her future up, she's still going to obey. Because yeah. she's trusting God that he has a higher purpose and a higher plan than she can see let me just finish by translating that into some real life terms I'll, I'll start with Heather because she's looking like suitably embarrassed already this morning <laughs> well you know like, let's say God's put it on my heart to start something he's put it on my heart to start Monday night now if we think the outcome is ours we're going to be worrying about things. Well, well, how's it going to work? Um, how am I going to get people to come? How am I going to get people to turn up? How am I going to find volunteers? What, what, what happens? What's the, what's the actual meeting going to look like? I have no clue what the meeting's going to look like, God. Obedience is yours. The outcome is God's. That's how it works. What about this? Well, 
I'll, I'll put it really simple. I think God's asking me to get involved with a life group. What? But I find it really hard to talk to people. What if I can't talk to people? What if I can't get on with them? What, what if it's, it's just like not close by? What, what if I you know, don't feel that, that I can get it? What, what if my shift's messed up? Obedience is your, the outcome is God. What if he's asking me to start talking to somebody or making friends with somebody at work? Or in your neighbourhood or whatever? Well, what if they've got problems and I have to... I, I don't think I've got the energy to get involved in their life. I, I don't, I, they're not very nice people and so-and-so doesn't like them. And they said that about them and they said this. Obedience is yours, <coughs> the outcome is God's. What if he's asking you to work on this this coming year on restoring relationships. Well, I don't want to. Do you have any idea what they did, Matt? Do you have any idea what they said? Do you have any idea how bad it is, how difficult it is, how we can't even talk anymore? God said, I want you to work on restoring the relationships. Obedience is yours. The outcome is mine. You know, we can't change men's hearts. Changing of men's hearts is a God-sized project, not a man-sized project. And when we gave our life to Christ, when we said yes, like Mary said yes to Christ's plans, we were buying into a God-sized project for our life. And I want to encourage you not to reduce it to a man-sized project and not to settle for so little when God has so much for you. Yeah. And here's what I'll guarantee you. That if you'll be obedient, he'll take care of the outcome. Yeah. Amen. Amen.